turn into Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, we are, we're visiting again with this fellow, Paul, who is giving the story, um, recounting Abraham's journey with God. And in Abraham's journey with God, Abraham was, in the, if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, you see that God gives sort of the photo album of faith, people who have walked by faith, and there's people in there like uh, you know, Abel, there's Enoch, and there's Noah, and then there's Abraham, but Abraham is known as the father of faith. He is the guy when it comes to the New Testament, and we're learning about walking by faith. The person that we are mostly directed towards is this fella Abraham, and I think because of what, what, what Paul is about to describe now as he's going through his, you know, understanding of Christianity uh, to in the what we call the letter to the Romans, but the letter to the Romans was really Paul's uh, thesis to the Roman people about what does it mean to be a Christian. And here we find him in Romans chapter four. Now it's very close to the very beginning of Romans, right? If you know, if you've read the first part there, you know that Romans chapter one, God is real. Romans chapter two, sin is bad. Romans chapter three, there's no difference between circumcised and uncircumcised. Romans chapter four, we now talk to this fellow Abraham and we begin to discover the the miracle, if you will, or the accomplishment of this man, Abraham, and why this was so radically, crazily awesome that Abraham was able to do this. And from Abraham, as we know, we have the entire Israelite nation, the God nation, that then gave birth to the Messiah. His name is Jesus. And all of us now are followers of this fellow Jesus, who came as a son, as it were, through the, the, the nation of Israel. So this fellow Abraham, starting way back in the beginning, was a foundational and pivotal person in the history of all humanity because, Paul speaking here, he was able to do one thing very specifically. And it's outlined there, if you take a look in Romans chapter uh, 4, in verse 18, it tells us that Abraham was able to hope against hope. And so our discovery then is, and then if you read all through that, I'm not going to go into it today, we've talked about it before, when we talk about that pivotal moment, Abraham, this is what Abraham did. Great things happened before and after, you know, God talking to him, covenant things were happening, but for Abraham to be able to become a father of a multitude, one amazing thing had to happen. For heaven to invade Abraham's life the way God wanted it to invade his life, Abraham needed to be able to just be able to do one, say one thing. Say it's easy. Say it's simple. Say it's sweatless. Say it's effortless. You just have to be able to do one thing. And what you have to be able to do is hope against hope. Now, what that sounds funny, right? That's why I think we've brushed over it. You know, what the heck does that mean? It's probably something that we should talk about in church and nowhere else. But it's, uh, it talks about the natural inclination for our soul to make predictions about our future. The only way that I can walk, Olivia is just learning right now to do this thing that I am now doing effortlessly. It is not by any means effortless to her. She is learning to predict how to create all the muscle structure in her body to do what I'm doing now effortlessly. 
because my soul has learned to predict what's about to happen as I put one foot in front of the other and I have to balance myself through this motion. My soul does that in every area absolutely about my entire existence. The problem that we are dealing with, with the, the forces of fear and dread, which is a negative expectation of the future, which produces selfishness, because I have to care about me. You know, if all of a sudden a lion walked in the door, I'd care about me, not you. Right now I can care about you, you're awesome, love you and all that. <laughs> but when the bullets are flying, I care about me. Okay, but our world now is so full of fear, dread, and selfishness that all we get is different, you know, versions of the same thing. So that what is going on in my soul all the time is the stress and anxiety and worry that, uh, that comes with having to look after me in the face of all the potential problems that could be facing me as I move forward. And as we see now with the dawn of the internet, I don't just know the problems facing me, I know the problems facing everybody on the planet. And they, put, they, they intrude into my life in, in, in mega forms. You know, we're, uh, Tina and I were, Pastor Tina and I were wa watching or reading something the other day, talking about the, uh, the suicide rate, how it has gone crazy in North America and incidentally started about 1995 when that started, actually started really in the, in the year 2000, but interestingly in 1995 is when the internet was born and now everybody starts using it and getting exposed to all the reasons to be hopeless and dread-filled and fearful and all of a sudden you see the skyrocketing, a 30% increase in suicide rates even to, the, as you've heard, I'm sure, from the news, even to the most famous and powerful people on the planet, still hopeless, unable to see that there's... This is what Abraham what, what gave us. His gift to us was an understanding of how do I honestly hope against hope? How do I put all the natural things that I've learned in my life that have taught me uh, to predict my future, how do I interrupt that process, that natural human process of somehow learning to seize control, at least in my own mind, seize control of a future that I see as to some degree negative or confrontative or problematic to my life. The more that I do that, the more I embrace that, the world is a terrible place, the more difficult it is for me to have a hopeful expectancy of the future. Right. And we're not talking about burying our head in the sand, pretending that everything is okay. Oh, I shouldn't use that word yet. Uh, you know, ignoring all the, all the facts, ignoring it all, and being peaceful because I've just chosen to live in my basement in a box. That's not what God is talking about. What he's talking about is being able to confront all of these situations, but confront them in a way that I maintain a level of power and uh, uh, a sufficiency to meet every one of those, to know that, to be peaceful in today, knowing even with all the calamity that is going on around me that now and my life always going to be good. Can we actually? And so... When we're dealing with this ability to hope against hope, in our culture, in our world of massive amounts of information and confusion and all of the things that go on, to be able to hope against hope 
it isn't really even realistic for us to expect that I'm going to be able to make enough money or have enough control or whatever uh, in order to have a po an honest, positive expectation of the future. That's not even a realistic expectancy anymore. The only way that we can hope against hope is to be able to have a confidence in somebody, God, I'm, I'm speaking of God here, not Trump, um, you know, an expectancy in somebody that no matter what comes, no matter what situation, no matter where I go, no matter what I face, I know God is with me. I know that everything is going to be all right. Do I honest, can I honestly come to that place? And this is the place I think where Abraham got to, where he had the same natural expectation. I don't have a kid, you know, in that world, you know, having no children was a death sentence uh, because there was no future for you. And you, you know, amass all you want, get all the stuff you like, but it's all going to disappear a couple days after you're gone. Uh, there's no future if you don't have a child. And so Abraham was kind of disappointed about that. And God came to him and said, you can have a child. And a matter of fact, not only will you have a child, you'll be the father of a multitude, a nation. Abraham could not see that for many, many years. The, this, the time between Genesis chapter 9 and Genesis chapter 21, or 12, let's say, Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 21, that's 25 years of Abraham's life as he's trying to get a hold of this reality. He's trying to hope against hope. Every morning, Sarah does the P-test, and it comes up negative. What's happening? It's just, it's, it's, it's driving him. Better that he didn't know he could have a child than that he could know he could have one but can't get the thing to turn blue. You see, when we're walking this journey, knowing how to hope against hope is the mechanism by which Abraham tells us and all of the people throughout history tell us this is the doorway to get through to the manifestation of the promise and truth of God in our lives. If we can expect honestly that it's going to be part of our tomorrow, even though it wasn't part of our yesterday, if we can do that, then it opens the door for that power and that transformation to begin to happen in our lives. The problem being when we have, we're full of so much fear, dread, and selfishness and the world, like, uh, like the chlorine in a swimming pool, the world is just saturating us with this nastiness everywhere we go. It's, under, it's inside and, and, and saturated in everything that they do as they, tr they try to figure out how do I go forward seizing enough control, having enough money, you know, putting my, my foot on enough people's necks so that I can be the guy that survives at the end of the day. The world that is like that is, is saturating us with that goo that it's so hard after a while to actually hope against hope. Simple as this process is, it's, it's challenging to us when we live in a world the way in, in the style that we live right now. There's point number one. So how do we maintain hope when experience hits us. That's what we're trying to discover. So when a, when a negative situation hits us, what we call a negative situation, 
when that confronts us, something that would appear to be to me to be hurtful to me or prevent, present a challenge to me or present a difficulty or cause me to fail or cause me to, to get sick or cause me to run out of money or cause me to be, to be embarrassed or cause me to be a fool or whatever those things are, I see something in my horizon that makes me think like that's about to happen in my life. My assessment of that fact that is going on in my life, I get the fact and I predict my future with that fact based on other experiences that I have had, similar experiences where something like that happened before. And so that mixture right there is using my natural hope, my experience of the past to predict what's about to happen with the facts that are facing me right now. Do you see that? What Abraham had to do was he had to be able to interrupt that natural process when most of us don't even realize that we are in that natural process. We think everybody thinks like we think. That's why we think everybody else is nuts. And so because of that, we, 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 haven't, been, we haven't given ourselves the power to take hold of that nanosecond and say, okay, not going that way. And that's simply all we have to do. So as we've been discussing this, we're talking about the process where we have, you know, we're trying to walk in hope and hope and hope and hope and hope as it's going up and up and up. And all of a sudden a crisis hits and we end up down in the, in the dumps. And then we try to get ourselves back up out of that and then get up here and boom, it goes down again into another crisis. What, how, how can we stop the process here of heading down those great seasons of depression for 10 years? as I'm shaking my fist at God and there just doesn't work anyways and all of the stuff that's happening simply because our hope, our ability to expect that whatever is going to come in our future has been challenged by a very particular crisis or what we would perceive as a reason why it's not gonna work. And it can be the, mo the smallest of things. It doesn't have to be anything major that has actually happened. It's just that it hits us in such a way that we all of a sudden, it's like somebody pokes a screwdriver through our gas tank, all of a sudden we run out of hope. And so we've learned that in this moment right here, number one, we settle. Settle down. Understand, if we know the gymnastics, the only reason I'm freaking out about the thing that's coming at me right now is because of all the experiences that I've had in the past. And so say this with me, say, my past, my past does, not does not predict my future, future. Unless, unless I believe it does. Think about that for a moment. My past does not predict my future unless I believe it does. When I believe it does, then it does. That's the great trick of the kingdom of darkness to be able to create some level of trauma in our past, take that trauma and trick us into assuming that when something, something happens, all of a sudden the lights turn out and that's something crazy for you, just a transformer down the road that blew up and they'll fix it, no big deal. There's nothing, nothing in here with the lights off that's not in here with the lights on. But every, all, you know, we all freak out because, oh, no, relax, settle. It's okay. It's just that motion now of seeing, we were taking Olivia down the, you know, there's a little safari park thingy in the town here. 
and the guy was in the, 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 one of the rangers was on the thing there as he was sort of negotiating us around. And all of a sudden, we're there with Olivia in her little push cart, and there's a big, huge water snake right there. It's making its way across the pathway. Right? So he says, just hang on a second. They bite, he says. I said, oh, thank you. You see, what do you do with that moment? Does it make you, you know, and if it's making you, it's okay if it makes you freak out. You just need to go and rewatch Indiana Jones again and realize snakes aren't like that. Because you learned it when you were three years old, when you realized if Indiana Jones is afraid of snakes, we need to be afraid of snakes. You need to fix that. Okay, but first thing you have to do to be able to fix it, what we're talking about right now, is the ability to settle. You cannot just go along the same road of letting that immediate punch in the face that happens from that experience, whatever it might be, you cannot let the emotion of that thing begin to take over for your life and make you run down a particular path for a season until you burn off all of that negative energy. You cannot do that, particularly if you are either an internal processor because you're going to go to bed and be depressed for a week, or you're an external processor and you're going to say things that you wish you would not have said. Because the things that you do and say in that moment are actually more accurate assessment of what you believe than the things you say here when you come to church and pull it all together for Sunday morning. The problem with that is you ha we have to learn how to just stop and settle. And the way you do that is just simply focus yourself and have something in your life or in your pocket or tattooed to your inside of your eyelids that you can read at that moment. And so for me, it is Mark, uh, Luke 15, 31. Remember the end of the prodigal son there? And the, the, the father comes to the older brother and says... Beloved, I am with you always, and all that I have is yours. Now, that's all that I need in that crisis situation. I just settle myself down, and I remember God is with me. He loves me, and all that I need to handle this situation, no matter how catastrophic it appears to be, everything I need has already been set in motion to be there when I need it. And that lets my heart settle away from all of the negative emotion that is produced by the negative expectation that is produced by my perceptions of the things I have experienced in my past. Most of which, by the way, aren't even real. They're my perception. They're what I thought happened. You know, I thought you spat in my face because you didn't love me. I didn't realize that you were so excited to see me that you gushed out of your mouth. <laughs> You see, the difference that we are experiencing, especially when you go back and begin to deal, and I'm, not, I'm, and I'm not minimizing real trauma that goes on in our lives, but you survived the real trauma. God got you through that real trauma. What he did not want to happen was that the trauma was going to make you expect that every time you came into that situation for the rest of your life, that anomaly was going to repeat itself. We get to the place where we believe after rehearsing it for so long and telling ourselves the lie over and over and over and over and over again that we have actually come to believe it. Now we believe in the negative expectation that originally had no power whatsoever to get anywhere near my life. And so interrupting this process becomes a key process, becomes a key ingredient. Number two, what we, what we want to be able to do is become what's what I'll just refer to as now-fullness. 
If you go to Philippians chapter 4, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul does this. He says to us that I have learned to be content. Now that word content talks about, it's the word autarkies, and it is a word that means to be self-sufficient, needing no external support or aid, able to meet every challenge that I, that I come up against. I am self-sufficient. But Paul wants to be able to give us a little bit of a tweak to that word because up until this point, humankind's only ability to face this negative expectation, this dread of their future, is to amass themselves an army, to build a, buck, a big huge bucket of gold, to surround themselves with a moat in order to produce this autarkies thing where I don't need anybody else's support. I have a basement full of canned goods. I don't need anybody's help. That's not exactly what Paul is talking about here. He says, I have learned in the midst of abasing or having nothing and in the midst of abounding as having an overflow, I have learned in the midst of either of those situations to be content. And what's that talking about? He has learned to be able to be absolutely okay and 100% aware of how okay he is right now. Yes, your brain is going off like rockets telling, and imagine Paul's life. The guy had been, you know, read, you know all the troubles, stoned and, you know, I mean, the bad kind of stoned. All of those things going on in his life He's been shipwrecked, he's been in trouble, bitten by snakes, arrested, tortured, his feet have been beaten to a pulp. I mean, the guy has got a lot of reasons. I mean, he's either a lunatic or he's got a super bad memory. <laughs> Forgetting about all the, but he says, I have learned how to be content. How to live in this place of contentment at all times. That word contentment, uh, do I, I don't know if I have the notes in that, do I? Uh, that word content uh, means to be uh, independent of all external circumstances. That means I don't need to know nothing on the outside is telling me whether I am content or not. I have come to that place where I am so aware of my, uh, my okayness right now. And you know, surprisingly, this is not that difficult to do. That when you come into that place of settling where you have just allowed, you know, God, you know, beloved, I'm with you always and all that I have is yours. Just settle. God is always with me. He's gone before me. He's always with me. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. And I'm settled. <sighs> then I come into that place, as, as Romans chapter 15 tells us, where peace and joy... I allow it to fill me as I am so aware of how good a job God is doing as he looks after me right now. 
Now when we're dealing with that word joy, which we did last time, exceedingly rejoicing, right? We did that, remember, we won't do that again today. Don't, don't let Jessica come back up with the mic today. Exceedingly uh, joyful. And then that word peace, a reine, is a word that talks about prosperity and tranquility and security and felicity. That's a word, we don't use that word very much. It's like extraordinarily over effervescent happiness that begins to flow out of us is the word that the Bible uses for peace. Now, the problem is, if we try to do our Christian thing, which is crisis comes, start confessing the word into that thing. The problem is, I'm doing that in this slide right here. In this slide, I am full of doubt and dread. The problem with confessing the word of God in dread and doubt, James tells us, let a man not think he will receive anything because he's declaring the word of God in a season of doubt and dread. And selfishness is the result of doubt and dread because now I got to look after me. I can't, I, can't, I can't spend too much time on you right now. So I got to look after me. And so in this place, I've got to get my place, myself to a place of settled, and I've got to get myself to a place of peace and joy, because out of that place of rejoicing and thankfulness and just magnifying how great God is in my life, as I am doing that, I am bringing myself, faith is starting to happen, right? I'm starting to feel that forward motion, that give me my mountain type of a thing coming out from the inside of me which wasn't happening in this. So what's happening here is that we interrupt it right here, fight, 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 and up we go. Instead of this whole cycle down here where we think we're doing something because we're declaring the word of God, fight, 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 but we're doing so in fear and dread. And it's not doing anything. I mean, it is doing something. Eventually it's gonna have its effect and you're gonna come through here with the help of your wife in order to get through the bottom there. But I'm telling you, we don't have to go down that far. We don't have to sink into that place, especially when we know my past does not predict my future unless I believe it does. Now, all of a sudden, I'm doing business with the fact that I believe it does or else I wouldn't respond this way to the situation or the fact that's just been delivered to my life. I would not respond that way. And that's the objective. The number three, what I'm looking to do in my three minutes and 30 seconds, I'm getting to number three here, which is now called hopeful Ness. Now, what does that mean? That means that as now what's happening is you're going to be in your time. The negative thing has come out. You know, the cell phone bill is bigger than you thought it was. And it's wow. Explosions are going on in the inside. You're swinging at everybody who's spent a penny in the household. And all of a sudden now you're calming yourself down. Let's just settle. God is with me. Everything is okay. It's always going to be okay. Let's take that bill and show them to all his friends in the basement that have already been paid, even though you didn't think they were going to be either. And go and introduce them to them and say, this guy is about to be your neighbor. And then put him back upstairs and put him into the drawer that has yet to be paid. In that process, what am I doing? I'm settling. Everything is going to be Okay, then I'm starting to rejoice. I'm saying, you know, God, look at my life now. I'm putting on weight. If I'm putting on weight, life must be good. (laughs) Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for sugar. Lord, just bless you for sugar. 
Thank you, Lord, for sugar. Thank you for a roof over my head, Lord. Oh, thank you for a great wife. Oh, what would I do if I didn't have a great wife? Thank you, Lord, for beautiful children. Look at Olivia. Take a little picture. Oh, look at beautiful grandchild, grandchild, of course, yes. (laughs) Right? Oh, just, what are you doing? Just thank you, Lord. You're so good to me. You're so good to me, Lord. You're just so good to me. You're just so good to me. You're so good to me. Okay, now, at that moment, you're feeling awesome. Life is good, man. Whoa. And your brain wants to start taking control again. Your soul wants to start, okay, so what do we do now? Your soul wants to know. What do we do now? And it's going to start pushing you out there to start imagining your future. Because that's what it does. It prepares you for what it thinks is about to happen. Now we have to have some real rules. Because what your soul is going to do is take you from this beautiful moment of loving God and thanking Him for all the amazing things that are going on in your life, and it's going to want to take you down a path that's going to suck you back into all the negative stuff that you just got yourself out of. What you have to learn to do is you must learn to maintain a hopefulness in your soul about anything you are thinking about when it comes to your future. Because you've just brought your whole world back into right now, and it's always fine. Even if they, you know, somebody had just shot a nuclear device over and they're going to blow up Niagara Falls and we're going to get caught in the shrapnel, it ain't here yet. We're okay. You understand? It's, we're okay. I know that there's people that are doing terrible things. We're okay right now. We have to be able to stop. But then as we begin to take our first baby step out of that little protected zone that we have created for ourselves, if our soul is not used to thinking positively, you're going to be two minutes out of your prayer closet and you're already going to be depressed again. You're already going to start saying negative things, thinking negative things, doing negative things, simply because your soul has not been trained to maintain itself in a hopeful state. We're just not used to it. How's your day going? Oh, not bad. You know, same stuff, different day. What do you think about tomorrow? Yeah, whatever. Just imagine, close your eyes for a moment, think about, the, think about your tomorrow. Can I tell you something? It looks just like last Monday. <laughs> we have to change that. So hopefulness now is the ability, I don't know where I even am on my notes. <laughs> Can I tell you something? That fateful noise right there. That's an E in your done chord. Okay, let me leave you with this. We as human beings, we want to think that we are smart enough to figure out the future. And we deceive ourselves into a false sense of security when we convince ourselves that our prediction of the future is actually right. When we haven't got a flipping clue what the future is gonna be like. 
we are pretending that we know what the future is going to be about. Think about that for a moment. We're pretending. And we all want to pretend that we're all not pretending. But we're all pretending. Because it makes us feel better in our natural self if I assume my future is going to be okay because I've figured it out. Because I'm wise enough, because I've got some experience behind me that I've now figured out how to predict the future and how to make it work. It's, it's all pretending. Nobody knows the future. The devil doesn't know the future. He lives in time just like you do, just in another dimension. He doesn't live outside of time so he can see what your tomorrow's about. He just says, it's Monday. It's going to be bad. He, he doesn't know. We've just got used to saying, oh, you're right, probably is good. Last Monday was, I think. No, actually, last Monday wasn't. Why did I think it was? It wasn't. It was a good day. We just buy his lies. He just keeps lying to us, and we just keep listening. we got to stop listening. If it's negative, it's not God. I hate to tell you. Okay, so, so if it, let's make that assumption. Oops. If we are, in fact, pretending, one, why do we always pretend it's going to be bad? You ever wonder that? Why do we always think tomorrow is not going to be great or better? Why do we think it's not going to increase? We could just as easily pretend that it is going to increase. You're not lying either way. You're just predicting. The thing is, Creation is going to lean toward your prediction one way or another. As we learn the ability to go through settle, fill our lives with now, and only allow myself, the, my soul's ability to project itself into the future, I'm only allowed to do that if my hope stays positive. If our hope goes negative, there is nothing good we are doing to prepare for our future. We have this idea that even though it's negative, I need to prepare for it because of the negativity of the situation. That's absolutely categorically incorrect. Hopelessness makes you weaker as you get to the future that you are dreading to receive. It will not make you stronger. You are better off to just pretend. We call it make-believe. You know, it's how you make believe. It's how you believe, is you start by pretending. Just pretend everything is going to be good. And refuse to allow, you have to learn how to put the brakes on in your soul. So that everything out there that I don't have a positive expectancy for, I'm just not allowed. Treat it like it is forbidden. 
Treat it like it's a sin. You know where God says, do not fear? To fear is to sin. Treat it like it's a sin. Because worrying about it isn't going to help you with it, but worrying about it will eventually empower you to believe it, which will eventually create it. The fire wouldn't even be there if we didn't have the expectancy that it would be there. This is the terrible reality of the world that we live in. The, the, the heaven on earth that we will experience or somebody in the next few generations will experience will be simply because we defeat the powers of fear, dread, and selfishness and an expectancy of faith, hope, and love becomes the dominant force on the inside of a human being. As I fill my expectancy with, uh, my honest expectancy with blessing-like increase, so my future, my prediction, my soul's picture, imagination of the future is more and more honestly filled with the blessing of God, the more the actual blessing of God will fill my present. Simple. But as you can see from going through this, as you analyze, and I'm not judging you, I'm judging me. You're judging you. You're seeing how do you do in these moments where hope is challenged. And how do you get out of that in the fastest possible way? To the place where I am, I am, I've learned how to be so hopeful in my soul and having such strict boundaries around what my soul is allowed to think about that after a while, I get to my future, the problem that even was originally there potentially has now come to the place where it isn't even on my radar once I get there. That's what you're looking for. That's what the blessing of God looks like in your life. It's just come and overtaken it. It's overcome the situation. You're just blessed in the city and in the country, going in and going out, in your storehouses, in your children, in your future, in your body, in, your, in every area of your life. Your expectancy has come up to such a degree and you've placed such rigid boundaries around your own soul that when you finally get to the crisis, it's, it's, it isn't even that it's gone, it's been met. Like a surfer that goes over the rocks. Well, the rocks are 10 feet below under the water. The surfer is just zooming over the top of that thing, not even noticing that the rocks are even there. That's what it looks like for heaven to manifest, the blessing to manifest, the Jesus-style life to manifest in your life is simply you must learn to hope against hope. Put your hand over your heart and say, Jesus, I am on this. I am ready to mind my mind. I am ready to take possession of my own soul. This is no longer a playground for the kingdom of darkness to mess with me, to lie to me, to deceive me about a future that they don't know any more than I know. But I know, I am confident that God, my Father, knows the future. He knows my journey. 
He knows my inside and out. He's numbered the hairs on my head. I know he's made provision. He'll keep me safe. He's with me wherever I go. He's gone before me. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. And he'll never fail me. I know all of my right nows are always going to be awesome. They're always going to be filled with the blessing of God. I have nothing to worry about because I am God's beloved. He's always with me. All that he has is mine. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.